I grew up in a family that uh, liked to garden. We had a few acres of uh, land out in the country in Mississippi, and it was probably some time in my late elementary school years, junior high years, where my dad took up the hobby of, of gardening. And like many who do take up the, the hobby of gardening, if they enjoy it, the garden gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more than you know what to do to be able to take care of it. And that certainly happened to us a few years um, as we were planting gardens in the spring and, and eating incredible vegetables throughout uh, the summer. I got involved in some of the, the planting as a, as a young boy. I, I enjoyed being outside. I still really enjoy working in the yard and working uh, with my hands. I don't get to do it as much anymore, so it's even more restful in some ways to get the privilege to do so. But I remember, you know, quite young, planting and helping plant, getting really excited about these watermelons that I had, I had planted. I was looking forward to having remarkable watermelons come July 4th. They're going to be so sweet. They're going to be amazing. Until what started popping up out of the ground were cantaloupes. Now, those of you who know a little bit about seeds know that cantaloupe seeds don't look anything like watermelon seeds, but I didn't know that kind of thing. I just thought I was planting uh, watermelons and come to find out that um, no matter what you think you're sowing, you only reap what you really sow. And the power is in the seed. I want you to keep that in mind as we turn our attention to Galatians chapter 6 and pick up the reading in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persuaded, they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we submit this time to you. 
We want in this word that has just been read, your spirit to come now to speak it to us, to preach it as it were to our hearts, that we might receive the seed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it might germinate, root, and ultimately fruit in our lives in order to give you glory and to advance your kingdom in the world. Lord, I pray you would renew us in that spirit right now as we give our attention to this of which we have just read. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to believe we're at the end of this remarkable letter that we began in late spring, a letter that is... Well, of all of the letters of the Apostle Paul, probably the most scathing of his letters, one that is filled with correction and warning and rebuke, and there is certainly some of that in this final section, but there's also just a great encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives us here, and that is to continue to do good even in the midst of being weary of it. And probably a lot of you know that experience in life. When we look here at Galatians chapter 6, we really want to learn what does it mean to boast in the cross in the way that Paul does here in this passage? What would it mean to live a life that, that the cross is not just one of the things among many that we boast, but the cross is the only thing that we boast in? I boast only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would it mean to live a life where we could say with, with the integrity and clearness of conscience and heart I boast only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, to ask that question is to begin to kind of get into the meat of this passage. And as we look at this passage, I want to kind of give us some things to hang our hats on, some pegs from which we can understand this text. And so I want to look at it with you in three ways. I want to look at the principle of this text, its main teaching. I want to look at the power that's behind that principle, that is the gospel. And I want to look at the practice that arises from that principle and power. That is a life of doing good. That's described in this text. And I think that you'll find as we look at the principle teaching, the power in the gospel, the practice that flows from it, you'll see that the Apostle Paul is saying, here's where perseverance is born. Here's where perseverance is is born. So let's start by looking at the principle. I had the privilege this week of revisiting a book that I haven't read in some time by William Perkins actually commenting um, on this particular passage, Galatians 6, in verses 7 to 9 specifically. He saw the passage this way. He said there are two sorts of seeds, there are two types of ground, and there are two kinds of harvests. There are two types of seeds. These are the good and the evil deeds that we do. There are the two types of ground, which are the flesh and are the spirit. And then there are two types of harvest that come from the planting of these seeds within these grounds. And the two types of harvest are corruption and life. Taking it all together... Perkins saw a principle. It's a simple, but it's a profound principle. If you sow deeds of the flesh, you will reap corruption. And if you sow deeds of the Spirit, we might say seeds of the Spirit, you reap life. Now, you know this in just the, 
flow of your own experience in life, even as I alluded to at the beginning of the service, how often we will find ourselves at a difficult spot in our lives and we'll wonder, how did I get here? And then we'll retrace our steps and we'll realize that's how it happened. It's like the old quote, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. There is a straight line between those things very often in our life, isn't it? The sin temptations that we deal with, they begin with a thought and then they begin as a, as an, and then they move on as an action and then before we know it, it's a bit of a habit and before we know it, it's deeply embedded and given form to our character and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a really bad place. The same thing that happens in righteousness though. The impulse to say yes to the things that are good and right and, and true and then giving into it in an action and then beginning to form a, a new habit or what we call a good habit that begins to take shape in a character that leads you down a positive direction. You, you can look at almost anything in our lives and anything of any habitual or character or movement direction and you can likely find thoughts and actions behind them that got you there. Paul is just making it really clear what you do today leads to where you end up tomorrow. Or your tomorrow is in large measure determined by what it is that you do today. Now when we think about this pattern, retracing our own lives in it, we begin to realize that this is part of what it means to take captive every thought for Christ. Part of the reason the scripture invokes so often for our mental lives that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would renew ourselves in our minds, is that it's often the trajectory of mind and thought to destiny linked by each of those steps that we just talked about. Now, Phil Riken says it this way. He says, every time you think a thought or you're speaking a word or performing a deed, you are planting a seed. And the question that's really being asked in this text is, what kind of seed are you sowing? Thus, what kind of harvest will you reap? Now, as noted a second ago, these two seeds, this seed of the flesh and the seed of the spirit, Paul's been talking about, if you've been with us in the book of Galatians, going back to Galatians chapter 5. He talked about the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5.19. He says they are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, decisions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. We don't have to guess as to what he's talking about when he's talking about deeds of the flesh. He's talking about those things that are the proneness of our sin nature. And then we don't have to guess what he means by Deeds of the Spirit, because we have for us in 5.22 of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it's real easy in a setting such as this to look at 5.19 and go, those are bad things, and to look at 5.22 and say, those are good things. I want to do good things, and I don't want to do bad things. Well, that's until later today. You and I both know you feel a war inside your heart if you're honest at any level with the day-to-day -day working out of these two 
realities. You have a flesh and you have a renewed nature and the two are at war. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5.17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Didn't have to tell you that. You didn't have to read that in Galatians 5 to know it. But Paul spoke of it in Romans 7 in such a way that really hits home, right? He says, I don't do the things that I really want to do and the things I don't want to do I find myself doing. And he says it this way, I find it's like a law in my life that every time I go to do something good, sin's just right there haunting my, just over my shoulder. It's catching me right in the midst of trying to do something good. This is the principle that we're actually experiencing in life. And, and when we walk through life, we begin to understand, oh, wait, this principle is not just a, a teaching that we ought to abide by. It's not just something that's a good instruction. It's a reality we can't escape. Everyone's going to sow. If you're thinking, you're acting, you're sowing, which means that everyone in some way, shape, or form is going to reap. How many young couples have had to learn this the hard way that sexual contact outside of the bonds of marriage sows weeds of selfish instant gratification and fleeting pleasure while destroying the enduring fruit of true joy and deep intimacy that comes with patience and self-control? How many business owners have had to learn that a fast-growing cash cow business built on the seeds of envy and greed and deception will often come back and eat your lunch later? For if you're caught in shady business deals of breaking the rules, that's one way. But what if you don't get caught? What if you just end up later in life with a really fat wallet and a really impoverished soul and a guilty conscience that no amount of money can alleviate. You see, sometimes we learn these lessons too late. John Stott writes, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, or we nurse a grievance, or we wallow in self-pity, every time we linger in company whose insidious influences we know we can't resist, or every time we lie in bed when we ought to get up, Every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing to the flesh. On the flip side, every time we release our bitterness and we grant forgiveness, every time we're patient with those whom we rub wrong, every time we're hospitable to those who are hostile, every time we run from temptation, every time we give and serve to those who are in need, we sow the seed of the Spirit. And all day long, you're throwing out one seed or another. And it's rooting, it's growing, and one day, sooner or later, it will harvest. That's one of the things the Scripture says is really clear. One of the biggest deceits, one of the biggest deceptions, is when we begin to get away with sowing some of those seeds and not immediately experiencing the consequences. You know, how many times have you fallen into some of those deeds of the flesh here and thought, Oh, that was wrong. Nothing bad happened right away. <laughs> I bet I can get away with it again. And again, I won't do it. You know, I can change my mind at any point and go another direction. And then all of a sudden, you learn that this, this seed has a trap. 
kind of built into it, that once it's actually rooted, its, its roots go deep. And a lot of times you won't see the manifestation of the consequences for a while. Most of the work of the tree is under the ground for a long time until it begins to poke up through the soil and only later fruit. And by the time that you've got a trunk and limbs and fruit and you're beginning to experience the consequences, it's a lot harder to kill because you've given it a long time to grow. Maybe you're realizing that that's the testimony of your life this morning as we sit here in the presence of the Lord. And maybe the question is, I want to sow the seed of the Spirit. I want to uproot the seeds of the flesh. What am I going to do? How can I change? Well, the Apostle Paul is actually going to speak to that here. Because he tells us there's a power behind this principle. There's a power behind this principle. And let's put it in context. When the false teachers, who are called Judaizers, came to Galatia, they came preaching and teaching and discipling. When they came, they came, Paul says, with sowing to the flesh motivations. Sowing to the flesh motivations. In other words, they had themselves in view. How do we know? Well, look at verse 12. They wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. They wanted all the externals to be cleaned up and scrubbed right. That why? That they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And in order that, they may boast in your flesh. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul Here's what the Apostle Paul's saying, and then I'm going to get to what the Apostle Paul means. What he's saying is these Judaizers came with a message, a message of circumcision. A message that was socially acceptable already by the Jews and greatly prized. It was an easy message. It was like going to the hometown crowd and preaching what you know they already believe, just so they can all say, boy." It was that kind of message. That's what the Judaizers had come to do. And they had won a great hearing. And their goal was to win a great hearing. And then to be able to say to win people over to their side. That the Judaizers and the Jews themselves would put pressure on the Gentiles in order to be circumcised. And then they could write back home in their email newsletter. Hey, not 20, not 30, not 40, not 50. A hundred people were circumcised here in Galatia. It was a roaring success. And the goal of what they wanted to do was simply to say, we're amazing. And we're using other people to boost our approvals of our own selves and your sense of who we are. They were motivated by approval. Also, they were motivated by what? Pain avoidance. I can't tell you how many times I read something in the scripture and I think about preaching it and it's Sunday's coming and this courage piece in me means work. This is going to be a hard message. We're not going to like this. There are going to be all kinds of objections or caveats or, or things that are going to be concerning. Are you going to just preach what feels good? Because it won't be painful. You won't get persecuted. You won't be questioned. Or are you just going to bump your approval ratings to get what it is that we know people want to listen to and actually want to hear? He says this is what motivated them. Because the, the Apostle Paul knew that when you preach the gospel, you preach the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a stumbling block to Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. When you preach the gospel of Christ, transformations are going to happen, but you know what's going to happen right next to it? All kinds of rupture. Just read the book of Acts. Uh, Paul himself says, verse 17, as he's writing this letter, he says, I bear the stigmata or the marks of Christ in my body. It just says, don't trouble me anymore about these things. 
I've got the very marks of Jesus in my body. Now, he's not meaning to, to say, as some medieval theologians have argued, that, that he had little appearances of, of nail prints in his hand or in his feet. He's meaning to say, hey, listen, I can look at my own body. I can see the scar from when I was just recently stoned in Lystra and left for dead outside the city because I came in and preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? The Apostle Paul is saying, I was willing to move towards the pain. I was willing to have plummeting approval ratings because my boast is in Jesus and not in men. My boast is in Jesus and not in men. That's what he means here in verse 14 when he says, I'm not boasting in your flesh. I'm not trying to make a good showing in the spirit. I'm boasting in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word boast uh, literally means I trust in and glory in. I find it to be my glory. You know, we sometimes speak of, of children when they run out of the shower without enough clothing on that they're standing in front of us with all of their glory. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that when I'm in all of my glory is when I'm wrapped in Christ in the message of the gospel. That's my glory. That's my identity. That's the fullness of my person. And when you have this as the fullness of your person, you're willing to take on pain. And you are willing to deal with the plummeting approval ratings because you know that the glory is not in man, but it's found in God. And he mentions it here by saying, listen, this circumcision thing or this uncircumcision thing is not a thing. It's just not. What matters is a new creation. Now think of how powerful it is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Listen, you can do circumcisions. You can write home about numbers and decisions for Christ and buildings built and budgets met. But none of that stuff is new creation. That's not the church. That's not the work of the kingdom. The work of the kingdom is new creation. Who does new creation? God does new creation. The spirit of God does new creation. The apostle Paul is saying, I don't have to worry about flesh and circumcision and approval ratings. That's stuff of the world. That's of this kingdom that's here. I'm of the kingdom that is not of this world that is founded in Christ and is reliant totally upon the spirit. And whether or not I see the harvest of that in the here and now is a moot point because I know the Spirit of God is at work anytime you sow the seeds of the gospel, whether I see it or not. You see, Paul understands that there's a power that's behind this principle. He actually understands that the gospel itself is its own spiritual seed. I want you to think of it biblically, theologically with me for just a minute. Think of Genesis 3.15. Who is Jesus called? He's called the seed. He's called the seed that crushes the head of the serpent. Here in Galatians chapter 3, he's called the seed of Abraham, which is the promise, the covenant promise of the Old Testament. Going forth, the gospel being a blessing to all the nations. That is Jesus. And then Jesus himself in John 12 talks about his planting. He refers to his death and his burial. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, who is the kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies? Jesus it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's saying, you know, when you plant the acorn in the ground and you grow the big oak tree, the oak tree will create many more seeds than the one little acorn. And that's exactly what's happening with me. When my body goes into the ground, when I die on the cross 
for your sins because I am the resurrection harvest. I'm not just the seed, I'm not just the the planting and the burial, but I'm also the resurrection harvest. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, he's the beginning of the resurrection. I don't know if you knew this, the resurrection's already started. It's already started. It started several thousand years ago. And if you're in Christ and when you're buried in a graveyard, essentially what the text is telling us here is the graveyards become garden holes from which God is planting bodies of his people of whom he will resume and resurrect and glorify and bring home with him. That's the message of the gospel from cover to cover. The apostle Paul knows that. And so when he sees people living in such a way as to sowing to the flesh or looking at external results, or looking at approval ratings for men, he's, un, uh, he, he's unmoved by it because he knows the reality of the gospel is something that is not seen, but it's seen with the eyes of faith. It's not something that's present always in the here and now, but it's something that we will reap in the future. In fact, the Apostle Paul can go further. The gospel is not merely the sowing and reaping story, but the gospel, the power of it is there's a paradox in the center of that story. You see, the paradox at the very center of that story is the principle that we've been talking about is that we reap what we sow. But let's see if that applies to Jesus. Does he reap what he sows? What about when he goes to the cross? Now, when Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus is reaping what you have sown. He's blowing this principle up. He's reaping what you have sown. And then what do you reap? You reap what he has sown. It's the exact opposite. The power of the gospel is that not that you have to keep everything, P's and Q's, I's dotted, T's crossed. But the reality is that Jesus has kept everything on your behalf by paying entirely for your sins. The one who has truly reaped what you have sown so that you can reap what it is that he has sown. Not only did Paul understand it was a gospel story, he understand there was a gospel paradox. That now there is hope. Because if I just simply tell you, listen, you need to be sowing seeds of forgiveness. The first moment that you're going to be bitter, you're going to realize you sowed an, a seed of flesh. And if we say we need to sow the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit, the moment that you realize that you're in envy or you're in rivalry or you're in strife or you're struggling with sexual temptation or abuse or whatever the situation may be, you are planting seeds of the flesh. And friends, here I'm, I'm here to tell you, you will plant some more before you're done. And they will germinate. And some in the here and now will experience consequences. And those consequences are the warnings of God. He is meaning to say to you, if you continue down this path, it will lead you to disaster. But he wants to say to you, Jesus has come and he has paid for the consequences of your sin. Seize upon him in faith and receive the righteousness that you could never earn by your own doing. He has reaped what you have sown, and so you have reaped what he has sown. And you see what begins to happen? The apostle Paul sees this, and he is utterly comforted. The whole world attacks him, but he knows that he's found in Christ. Uh, The whole world is against him, but he has Christ. 
The Apostle Paul is ultimately comforted. And then when he feels like the wheels are going to fall off, when attacks are happening everywhere and he's ready to throw in the towel, he's compelled again by this gospel message because in the city of Lystra, where he was stoned and left for dead, you know what he did? Most of us would get out of town just as fast as we could. In fact, most mission agencies would take their people out and send them away. You know what Jesus did? Or know what Paul did? He went right back in. He went right back in. Who does that? Who does that? It's like walking in the line of fire. It's because this man was not afraid. He was not wrapped up in the pride of approval. He was not eaten up by avoidance of pain. He didn't have himself in view because his old glory was in following a crucified Savior. Friends, if, if, if we are living Christian life through the, the means of least resistance of avoiding pain, how are you ever going to follow a crucified Savior? The very nature of the call is to move into death. Take up your cross daily and follow him. How in the world are you going to find strength to do that? Because death is not your end. You know on the other end of death is resurrection. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. So whether it's dying to your flesh, which will feel like death in the moment, and learning to live under the fruit of the Spirit in righteousness, or whether it's actually laying your very life on the line for the ministry of Christ and moving towards it, knowing as Tertullian has regularly argued in his writings in the early centuries of the church that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the gospel. Let me tell you, friends, when God is often doing his greatest work in your life is not when things are great. It's when things are are difficult. It's when the pain has come. Like, how much do you grow during your times of pleasure and peace? <laughs> you don't. You get lazy. And God in his kindness sends you a little provocation, a little suffering, a little challenge. And what does he do in that? He, he renews your perspective. He forges again the sense of your identity in Jesus. And he compels you again unto the work of Christ. And you see, when you're in that place, you can be able to say, like we read here in Galatians chapter 6, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season you will reap if we do not give up. Friends, this is the question of perseverance. This is the question of perseverance. There's a difference between presuming upon the grace of God and trusting in the grace of God. Presuming upon the grace of God is, I'll just do whatever I want, God will cover it. And he'll make it all right in the end. That's a license to sin, it's seeding flesh, and it leads to disaster and destruction. That's what Paul is telling us here in this passage. Trusting in Christ for the covering of your sin brings you comfort knowing in your brokenness that you can never uphold the law in the perfection that he requires, but that Jesus has done it for you and it gives you comfort and then it does the second thing. It compels you into obedience. It just shoots you out of a cannon into obedience. It makes you want to begin to be conformed into the likeness of the one who would love you like that. That's what it begins to do. And then you begin to know when I go out into life, if I'm seeding the gospel, if I'm seeding the gospel and reject it, if I'm seeding the gospel and I see it grow, when I'm doing good, when I'm walking in the fruit of the Spirit, whether I see the fruit or not, I know it's coming. Because if I continue to not give up, 
If I continue to persevere to the end with the perspective of the gospel, there will come a day when all things will be reaped. Jesus said it the best in Matthew chapter 13. He said that in the kingdom of God, there are those planting seeds that are wheat and they're going to grow up and they're going to germinate. But there are enemies of God, maybe even Judaizers, who come in to the kingdom of God and plant weeds and they grow up alongside the weed. And it's not really clear right at the first which one is a weed and which one is a wheat. But he says at the end of time, it will be manifested. All will be known in the end. And in that moment, he will send in his workers into the vineyard and they will bind up those weeds and they will throw them into the fire and he will put the wheat into his storehouse. That's the message. Friends, none of us have reached that day. So don't grow weary in doing good. There can be a presumption often in our teaching of the sovereignty of God which we cherish so deeply in our teaching in the gospel of God in His grace, there can be a presumption, there can be a laziness that overtakes us where we just go, oh, God's going to work it out, I'm saved, I'm good. No one is good who doesn't persevere. There is no such thing as a non-persevering Christian. There's no such thing. The Bible doesn't teach it. Those who are His, oh yes, they'll persevere, but... Don't presume. Trust Christ. Be compelled by the gospel. Answer his call. And know that every little thing that you do matters for eternity. Listen to John Brown. Every act of Christian duty, every sacrifice made, every privation submitted to, every suffering endured with a view to Christ's honor shall assuredly be recompensed. Every single bit of it. You feel like you're getting robbed here, you know? You see the wicked prospering and not getting caught. Here you are righteous and suffering. This is not the harvest day. We're not there yet. Don't call a success premature. We have not come to the end of time yet. When we do, all will be made right. Make no bones about it. All will be made right. And there's a note of that kind of sobriety in this text. And so don't, don't be tempted. You know, don't be tempted by doing something big. You know how we always want to do something big? I want to do something meaningful. And a lot of times the motivation to do something big and meaningful is really like, I want to be known for doing something big and, and meaningful. It's usually double-backed on ourselves, as Tony was saying earlier. You know, if we say, I want to be something important for Christ, really what we're saying is, I want to be important. And I'd love it to have something to do with Christ. A lot of times we're wrapped up right there. Friends, it is, it is not about you doing something big for Jesus. It's about the simple fidelity of Monday morning. It is about picking up your Bible. It is about praying. It is about killing sin. It's about living to righteousness. It's about caring for the poor. It's about loving your neighbor. And the reality is most people, by God's grace, these things are never known. But they will be. Oh, they will be.
Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, forgive us for the ways that we have turned um, ministry into a platform to say things about us. Forgive us for the ways that we have avoided pain, even though you've called us unto it. Forgive us for the ways that we have sought the approval of others and have thus uh, stopped short of your call. Father, I have a sneaky suspicion that won't radically change for all of us overnight, so we're going to need a lot of help. Father, I would ask that you would give that help in such, such powerful measure that it just turns our lives upside down. and that We become committed to the daily simple fidelities of life. We want, to be, we want to boast only in the cross. Lord, I'd love to be able to say that. I'd love for us as a people of God to be able to say that with full integrity. My only boast is in Jesus Christ. I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. It just doesn't have a hold on me anymore. But Father, as much as I want to say that, it's not true. But Father, I plead, would you make it more true? More true until it's completely true. And Father, as I pray that, I pray it earnestly for me, but I pray it for all of us here. And I ask God's people to join in that prayer with me. You want new creation. That's what you want. You're not interested in our checklists. You're interested in the whole of our heart and life. You want everything submitted to you. Because you know that when we live from that place, we're freer than we're ever going to be. And we're more the people that you've designed us to be than ever before. So come and do just that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.